As I said years ago, Brother Chapman was on the staff at Maslin Baptist College, and he was also on the staff at the church there. He was a youth director, and um, <clears throat> he was very passionate about young people at the time. And honestly, I don't really believe that he's much older than I am. I would imagine probably no more than five years, maybe two or three years at the most. Uh, and so uh, we probably were fairly close. Now, he seemed much more mature than I did at the time, 
but uh, he was also a youth director. He was married at the time. Uh, and Well, I was too, I guess, but I wasn't a youth director. Well, I was a youth director. That's true, I was. So I guess there's an element there where there's a lot in common. But here's the thing. I remember something he taught years ago, and it made a difference in my life. And I know this is going to sound kind of weird, but I remember you saying, Brother Chapman, years ago, you said, if you want to marry a queen, you have to be a king. And if you want to marry a king, you have to be a queen. And I'll tell you what, I never forgot that. I cannot tell you, Brother Chapman, how many times I've stood it before youth or before others and said, if you want to marry a queen, you have to be a king. And if you want to be a queen, a, a king, you ha if you want to marry a king, you have to be a queen, okay? Woo. Nowadays, you never know. But anyway, uh, that's how what I learned. And so that was just one thing I learned from him, so many things. I'm telling you, you're going to be glad you're here. Brother Chapman, you come speak for us, would you please? If you turn with me, please, in your Bibles, the book of James believed that uh, James is perhaps the first book to be written in the New Testament. Sometimes it's called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's so very practical. But James chapter 1, and um, again, we're only back for a few weeks, and, and I'd like to share with you a, a thought. It's not necessarily a missionary thought, but just something I think will be real hopeful, real practical. Uh, James chapter 1, in verse 1, we'll read the first 12 verses. The Bible says this, James a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diver temptation. By the way, I'd encourage you, perhaps, if you underline or mark your Bible, to mark that little word, when. Because it's not a question of if, it's a question of when you're going to fall into diver temptation. We're all going to face uh, some tough times. That's just part of life. And so James is saying, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diver temptation. Uh, someone once told me that diver temptations were mermaids. <laughs> That's probably not true. Um, diver temptation just means various or different. And so what you're going through may not be the same thing somebody else is going through. Notice then in verse 3, he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And again, I'd like to encourage you to underline or mark, if you do that in your Bible, the word let. And the reason I mention it now, because once I get into the message, sometimes I forget um, those two key words, and I think they're really, really important. And he's saying, listen, when you're going through those tough times, those heartaches and those problems, you have to, and I say this very carefully, but you have to let God work in your life. Because if you don't, instead of becoming better, what will happen? You'll become bitter. And so we have to, and, and this is hard to say, but we have to give God permission. When he's doing something and it's difficult and we're going through those hard times, we have to let him work in our life. Verse 5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven through wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Verse 9 says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich in that he is made low, because as a flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways, 
And then verse 12, the Bible says, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let's have a word of prayer, and I'd like to share with you some thoughts uh, from this uh, section of scripture that we just read. Father, we thank you for the opportunity of being here. I thank you for the testimony of this church and the opportunity of representing them in Australia. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be a blessing to this people. May you open our hearts and our eyes to your word tonight. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you'd please notice with me in James chapter 1, he says this, James, a servant of God. Now, personally, if I've been writing this book, I would probably mention the fact that I'm pastoring the church of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that Peter's gone to another place. We don't know exactly where, but he's, he's gone. He's left Jerusalem. And so James has assumed the leadership of the church of Jerusalem by Acts chapter 15. Uh, he's the pastor. He's the one they look to. And so I would have just done that because there's several three, maybe four, different James in the Bible or in the New Testament. And so I would have mentioned the fact that I'm pastoring the church of Jerusalem just so folks would know who I am. But James doesn't do that. He simply says, James, a servant. Now, if I would have been writing the book of James, I would have mentioned the fact that I'm pastoring the church of Jerusalem. But also, I'd probably mention that I'm the half of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it's in Matthew chapter 13. We find that Jesus had four half-brothers and at least two half-sisters. And again, the only reason I do that is so that people would know who I am, so that I could identify myself. I don't know about you, but when I buy a new book, I always like to know something about the author. A number of years ago, I went to a bookstore in Australia, and uh, I found a book, and it had a nice, catchy title to it, but I didn't know the author, and so... I was looking at it, and the foreword had a man's name who I recognized, and I thought, oh, if he's recommending the book. Um, So I bought it, and I got home, and I started reading, and I'm thinking, and I found out the guy who gave the recommendation wasn't the guy who I thought it was, and and so it really disappointed me. I spent that money, and the book, but it was a good title. Okay, I got to admit that it was a nice title, and I've used that title to preach a sermon title, but uh, it wasn't what I thought it was. So if I would have been James, I would have just, you know, included that I'm the half-brother of Lord Jesus because just to identify me. But he doesn't do that. He simply says, James, a help me, please serve it. Now, if I would have been writing the book of James, I would have mentioned the fact that I'm pastoring the church of Jerusalem. I'm the half-brother of Lord Jesus Christ. And the brother of Jude, he's my younger brother, and he wrote the book of Jude. And since I'm the older brother, I want to give his book kind of a plug, you know, so, because it's a good book, not very long, but it's a really important book. And, and I just want to give him some free publicity, you know, just so you know, other people might read his book. And, uh, but he doesn't do that. He simply says, James A., if I would have been writing the book of James, I had mentioned the fact that I'm pastoring the church of Jerusalem, I'm the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the brother of Jude who wrote the book of Jude, and I'm good friends with Peter, James, and John. Um, we hang around together. We're good friends. And again, the only reason I'm going to mention that is because, you know, we're identified by the crowd that we hang around with, who we fellowship with. Oftentimes, we're identified by that. And so I just want folks to know who, who my crowd is. But he doesn't do that. He simply says, James A. Servant. Thank you for this side. I'm, I'm working on this side over here, okay? we got to get a little more in there. Uh, if I would have been writing the book of James, I would have mentioned the fact that I'm pastoring the church of Jerusalem, half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the brother of Jude who wrote the book of Jude, good friends of Peter, James, and John, and the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians called me a pillar 
in the church. Not pillow, so don't get too comfortable there, okay? But a pillar because for his firm stand for the cause of Christ. But he doesn't do that. He simply says, James, a woohoo, amen, okay. If I would have been writing the book of James, I would have mentioned the fact that I'm pastoring the church of Jerusalem. I'm the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the brother of Jude who wrote the book of Jude, good friends of Peter, James, and John, and the apostle Paul called me a pillar in the church, and also I'm known as camel knees. Uh, Tradition has it that his knees became callous like a camel's because he spent so much time in prayer. And the only reason I'm going to mention that is because James opens with prayer, and in chapter 5 it's going to close with prayer, and so I just want folks to know that I'm practicing what I preach. But he doesn't do that. He simply says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then notice who he's writing to. In verse um, 1 again, he says this, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Again, as I already mentioned, he's pastoring a church of Jerusalem. And if you go with me, please, to Acts chapter 8. Now, we're coming right back to the book of James, so uh, you want to keep your place there. But Acts chapter 8. I'm in John right now. Acts chapter 8. Verse 1, the Bible says this, And Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul, but this is before he he was converted. And Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. And at that time, notice what the Bible says, There is great persecution against a church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all what? Scattered abroad throughout all the region or throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. What is happening at the church of Jerusalem? They're being persecuted, and as a result, they're being scattered. Go again, please, in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Saying the same thing, notice in verse 19, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution which arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but on the Jews only. So what is happening in the church of Jerusalem, the the church that James is pastoring, they're going through persecution. And as a result of that, people are being scattered. And so imagine with me for just a moment. Here comes James, and he comes to his pulpit one morning, and a Sunday morning, and he looks at his crowd, and all of a sudden he sees an empty empty row there. And so he he mentions to his, his music man, and he says, have you heard anything about this family? Oh, pastor, didn't you hear? The husband was taken. He was killed last night. And the wife and the children are fleeing for their life. And then he notices over here another family whose house has been taken from them. And uh, he doesn't realize it. But this family has been scattered. They've been taken out of their house. And he looks around his congregation and he sees some people that aren't there who are hurting, who are being scattered because of persecution. And all of a sudden he doesn't have an opportunity to minister to from the pulpit. And so he picks up his pen. And he begins to write, listen, please, James, a servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, when you're hurting, when you're going through those tough times, it really doesn't matter how many degrees they have behind their name. It really doesn't matter what position they may hold. It really doesn't matter who they know. If they don't have a heart of a servant, they're not going to be able to help you. And so he begins to write to a people who are hurting, who are going through some tough times, who, who are being scattered because of persecution. And he picks up his pen and says, James, a servant of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. 
Then notice what he says. My brethren, these are the people that he loves, the people that he cares about. My brethren, notice, count it all joy when you fall into diver temptation. And James is saying no matter what you're going through, no matter what heartache or what trouble or what problems you're facing, he says you can count it all joy. And basically in the remaining of the section of the scripture that we've read, he's going to give us three reasons why. We can count it all joy no matter what is going on in our life. First of all, he says it's for our enlargement. If you notice with me again in the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1 once again. Notice in verse 3 he says this. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That trying, that stretching, that exercising, uh, that strain, that's what produces strength. He says that trying of your faith work of patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So James says, listen, when you're going through those difficult times, those heartaches and those problems, God is wanting to use that for your enlargement that you might grow. Pretend with me for just a moment, please. Um, in my hand, I, I have this egg. Oh, and look, oh, I'm sorry. Um, it's there's a little chick inside. How many would call it a chick? How many would call it a chicken? How many would call it, a, anybody call it a peep? In Australia, you'd call it a chook, okay? But here, there's a little chick inside, and it's trying to get out, and it's, man, it's having a really hard time. To, and, and so you probably notice I'm a man of tremendous compassion. And so very carefully what I'm going to do, I'm going to peel the shell away so it won't have to struggle, to make it a little bit easier for it so it doesn't have such a hard time getting out of the egg. And so very carefully, I peel it back. And generally what happens is the chick dies. Why? Because it needed to struggle inside the egg to have the strength to live outside the egg. And sometimes God allows us to go through some difficult times. Why? So that we might be enlarged, that we might grow. A number of years ago, we had our own camp, and, and uh, after the evening service, we'd have quiet time for maybe five, ten minutes. Sometimes we'd do it in small groups, and sometimes I'd just have them try to be quiet by themselves. And if you get teenagers to be quiet, man, that's, that's pretty exciting. Um, and so we'd do that, and then, you know, we would have snack shop, and then we'd have some games, try to tire them out before they go to sleep because they never seem to go to sleep at camp. And uh, it was during one of those times that it was quiet time. And I was standing out behind the chapel. All of a sudden, this young boy by the name of Kevin, he's coming up to me, and man, he's just heartbroken. And he's, he's just sobbing. And he comes up to me and said, Brother, 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 brother. He's just brokenhearted, and he's crying. He says, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm really, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really struggling. Now, I've never done this before, and honestly, I've never done it since. But I said, that's great. <laughs> and he stopped crying, <laughs> and he looked at me. He said, what? <laughs> I've never done it before. I've never done it since. But I said, Kevin, listen, you've been living at this plane for quite a while. It's time for you to move up a level. 
And God is allowing you to struggle. Why? So that you might be enlarged, so that you might grow, that you might have the strength to, to move out up a little bit. And sometimes God allows us to go through some difficult times, some heartaches, some problems. Why? So that we might be enlarged, so that we might grow. Secondly, he says it's for our enlightenment, so we might see some things a little bit differently. Again, in verse 5, notice the context is people who are going through some difficult times. And he says this, if any of you lack wisdom, I don't know if that applies to anybody else, but it sure does me. When I'm going through some difficult times, I think, God, what are you doing? (laughs) Why is this happening? I don't understand it. That's what he's talking about. Now, there's a lot of applications of that verse, but that's what he's talking about in context. Going through some difficult times and you don't understand why. Does that apply to anybody else? He says, let him ask of God. And I'm really glad because, as your preacher mentioned, um, I'm pretty simple. Uh, we, our church in um, Sydney, we had quite a few Filipinos in our church. And, man, they can say the word pastor. Like nobody else in the world. I mean, they just like, you know. And so we had this lady come to me because uh, we were doing a trip to the Philippines. And she said, oh, they're going to love you there because you're so simple. You know? And I said, man, I'm getting as deep as I can go, you know. And, and uh, so I'm really glad he just uses that simple word. Let him ask of God, which give it to all men and women liberally. And abradeth not. Now, the word abradeth means he doesn't put you down. He doesn't criticize you. He he doesn't say, don't you know anything? So he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which give to all men liberally. And abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But notice what he says then. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. No going back and forth. For he that wavereth. I have to read that. I'm sorry. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. For not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So he says, listen, if you're going through a difficult time and you don't understand what's happening, he says, ask God. God, why is this happening? But he says this, but you've got to ask in faith. Nothing wavering. A number of years ago when I was youth pastor, we took a group of uh, teenagers to... Um, I believe it was North Carolina. Um, Bob Shule, I don't know if you remember him. I'm not sure what time frame. He was an older man. He had, he had retired and came to the college. <laughs> he worked in the youth department for a while. Uh, he was in his 60s. That used to sound old. <laughs> yeah, not old anymore. <laughs> and, uh, but it was amazing because uh, he had a unique relationship with, with our teenagers. In fact, he's the only person who would ever call me and say, how you doing, Brother Chapman, or Kenny? And then he'd say, how's your Bible reading going? Ouch. <laughs> and, uh, but he was working with us, and he'd gone to North Carolina, and he's opening up a, a, a mission to the military. And so we were going down, we are going to do some painting, passing out tracks and things of that nature. Now we're on our way back. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I hate to go the same way twice. You know, I've seen the scenery that time. I, I want to do a, a loop. You know, I don't want to see the same thing twice. And so now we're coming back from, I believe, South Carolina. We're heading back up, and, and we just happen to be driving along the ocean. And I'm an Ohio boy, you know, and, and so I, the ocean's pretty exciting. And so, you know, there's about 11 of us or 12 of us in, in this van. And 
I don't think I drive across the street in that van now, but you know, that was uh, 40 years ago or something like that. And, uh, and so uh, all our luggage is up on top. And I said, listen, we're just going to stop for a few minutes. Nobody get wet because we got a long way to go, and there's no way we can get the stuff, you know, our, our clothes back down from, you know, it's just up there wrapped up in plastic, and we're, there's no way we can get it. Well, you know the story, don't you? Because all of us ended up getting wet. And we stayed there probably for two hours messing around in the water, fully clothed, I know. Um, it's kind of dumb, but that's what we did. And we had one boy with us who'd never been out of the state of Ohio. His dad was in prison. His name was Brandon. Uh, and uh, he'd never seen the ocean before. He didn't know how to swim. And uh, I still remember Brandon because you know how the waves go back and forth? And so here's Brandon. He's going, <laughs> and probably an hour, Brandon was going back and forth and back and forth. Now, it was kind of fun to watch. But spiritually, sometimes we do the exact same thing. Here we are. I'm going to live for God. No matter what. Whew, that water's a little cold around my feet. Oh, it's hitting my knees. Oh, it's, and we start to back off. And we go back and forth. And James says, listen, if you want to have enlightenment, if you want to see what God is doing in your life, Ask him, but you got to ask him in faith. There's no going back and forth. I mean, it may be scary, and, and that water may be going over your head, and you don't know if you're going to make it, but you got to stand. It's been a while since I've read um, Corey Ten, Corey Ten Boom, Corey Ten Boom book. <laughs> I got in Thursday night at midnight. It's about 30 hours or so flying. And uh, my daughter, she's going to school in West Virginia, and they have a graduation banquet. She wanted me to go to, with, to that on Friday night. So I, I get to Ohio Thursday at midnight, and uh, Friday morning I'm driving to West Virginia. And then I came back, so uh, that word was right in Australia, and they'll come back, okay. Corey Ten Boom. Is that close enough? Okay, I was not saying it quite right. And uh, her sister, I believe her name was, uh, boy, she had a sister, <laughs> Betsy, thank you, okay, and um, they'd just been arrested, and um, what I understand is Betsy wouldn't lie, and uh, so they, are you hiding Jews, and Betsy said, yes, okay, I don't know what happened, but they got arrested, and they'd just been moved to this new concentration camp, and Corey's complaining, she says, this is miserable. This is horrible. And Betsy's encouraging her and saying, yes, but we're still together. And they're, they're put into the barracks, and, and it's just wall-to-wall bunk beds, you know, and it's just going to be jam-packed. And, and Corey says, look how crowded this place is. And, and Betsy says, yes, but, you know, just think of all the women that we're going to have an opportunity to minister to. And, and, and Corey can, continues to complain. And, and, uh, and so Betsy says, but we still have her Bible. They haven't taken it from us. And and so finally, Corey said, okay, let's pray, and we'll express our thanks. And, uh, and so they knelt down to pray, and as they were kneeling to pray, all of a sudden, a flea bit Corey. And she goes, not even God can make me thankful for fleas. Where they were there for several months in the process of time, Betsy got pretty sick. 
And she is forced to stay in the barracks, and, and she's making socks or something like that for, for the soldiers while Corey and the other women are going out and working the fields or, or working in the factory, whatever they're doing. And one day they're, they're having trouble. They don't know exactly what they want. Uh, Betsy doesn't, and the group of ladies who are making socks and clothing and whatever they're doing. And so they ask a guard to come in, but none of them would come in. And Betsy got pretty excited. And when Corey came back from the factory or the fields, she said, have you ever wondered why the guards haven't come into our barracks and, and brutalized us and, like they have some of the other ones? And uh, Corey said, well, I just thought that was God protecting us. And Betsy said he was. But guess what he was using to protect us? The fleas. Now, probably none of us enjoy getting bit by a flea, but if you have the choice between getting bit by a flea and being brutalized, I mean, helps you see things completely different. A number of years ago, it was nine years for Cindy and I to have our first child. Now we're expecting our second one. And um, Cindy's seven months pregnant and went into premature labor, and and, uh, we're having a difficult time. We went to the hospital, and uh, they're trying to stop the labor, but they're not able to. And eventually they transfer us to Akron Hospital, and and I remember coming in. It was a Sunday night. We came in kind of late-like. And um, they tell us that they're not able to stop the contractions. Um, there looks like there's some difficulties with the child. And uh, they're going to do cesarean on Monday morning. And so early Monday, I went home and changed clothes and made a, some calls and came back to the hospital. And uh, Cindy and I prayed together. Something like, Lord, if... Uh, Our child has a handicap. We'll take that as a gift from you. Because oftentimes, uh, families that have a child with a handicap, they learn to live for something other than themselves. And it can be a center of joy. And so we said, God, we'll try to raise that child for you. If you give us a healthy child, we'll do our best to raise that child for you. And Lord, if you take this child home, you're God. And we're going to love you anyways. And I remember a little while later... With the birth of our other child, it's so exciting and so fun. This was a sober occasion. And um, they delivered a little boy. His name was Isaac David. Had a full head of hair, dark complected, and honestly, the softest skin I've ever touched in my life. He only lived less than two hours. But it was a result of that heartache that I learned so much. Heaven became so much more real and so much more precious. And we learned so many things from that. So James is saying this. Listen, when you're going through those difficult times, when you're going through those heartaches and those problems, you can count it all joy. Why? Because it's for our enlargement. God wants to use us to help us grow. Use your imagination, okay? Help us grow, all right? Secondly, it's for our enlightenment. It helps us to see things a little bit differently. And then thirdly, it's for our noblement. He says, let the brother of Lodivri rejoice in that he's exalted, but the rich in that he's made low. Because of the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower there falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. The difficult times help us realize what's really important. It ennobles us or makes us a little bit more like Jesus. 
Now, I'm not going to quote this perfectly, but Romans 8.28 says this, We know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, dot, dot, dot. I can't remember that little section there. I'm sorry. But the reason for that is that we might be conformed to the image of his son. So God is allowing those difficult times in our life so that we might become a little bit more like Jesus. Pretend with me once more. Um, I sort of have a unique gift. I usually don't speak long, but it just seems like it, okay? So uh, here we have this oyster, and it's listening to me preach, and it's going, oh, okay. And uh, all of a sudden, um, I was going to say it sees this fish coming by, but does oysters have eyes? I, it's, but it senses this little fish come by, and so he hurries up and closes his mouth. But he's too late. And that little fish swung up a little grain of sand, and it landed inside the oyster's mouth. Now, if you're doing a science project, you might want to do some research on this, okay? Um, but it goes inside his mouth, and goes, mm, I hate it when that happens. And so it tries to spit it out. But if you ever notice, oysters don't have a good set of lips on them, you know? Mm. And it irritates him, and it hurts, and it's a problem, and it's uncomfortable, and he's not enjoying it. And he wishes he could just get rid of it, but it's there, and it's there to stay, and he can't get rid of it. But God has so created it, the oyster, so that it begins to secrete a substance around that irritant, that problem, that heartache, and begins to coat it and over and over again. And one day, a pearl diver will go down. They'll bring that oyster up, and they'll open it. And they'll reach in, and they'll bring out a pearl. And God is wanting to use those irritations, those problems, those heartaches, that trouble. Why? So that he can make us into pearls, so that he can make us a little bit more like Jesus. So James is saying, listen, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diver temptation, when you're going through those difficult times. Why? Because it's for enlargement that we might grow. Secondly, it's for our enlightenment that we might see things from heaven's perspective. And then thirdly, it's for our noblement that we might become a little bit more like Jesus. Verse 12 is the last verse. He says this, blessed. The word blessed means happy. Someone said, happy, happy, okay. Blessed is the man that enjoys temptation. Is that what it says? No. Blessed is the man that endures. That person who doesn't quit. That person who doesn't stop. Just because things get hard, he doesn't give up. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. As youth pastor, I also had the opportunity to teach in a Christian school. I never got paid for that, but I really enjoyed it. One day, we're having an in-service, and there's maybe 20 or 30 teachers there, and, and most of them are professional teachers. They went to school to become a teacher, and, and they're professionals, and <laughs> you've already noticed I'm not a professional teacher, Okay. And uh, the principal said, what I'd like each of you to do is give some advice, you know, to the other teachers in the room. And, and uh, so everybody just stand up and give one bit of advice to the other teachers. And I, I remember one teacher, 
uh, Mrs. Hartline, I don't know if you remember her, but she stood up and she said, when I give a test, I grade it the same day and give it back to the students the next day so that they have feedback right away. I thought, man, that's a really good idea. Because when I'd give a test, I'd take it home. A couple weeks later, (laughs) I'd give another test, and I'd take it home. And a couple weeks later, I'd give another test, and I'd take it home. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, Cindy, can you help me grade these tests? Because grades are due tomorrow, all right? It was a great idea. I just never put it into practice. I'm sorry, Brother Mark. So I just turned them all back at the end of the at the end of the semester or whatever. Finally, it came to my turn, and I stood up and I said, "I teach the Bible, <laughs> and I really believe if I can help my students fall in love with the Bible, when I give them a test, they're going to pass it." I told them, "If you're teaching history, and you can get your students to fall in love with history." By the way, my history teacher one time told me I was going to be famous. <laughs> sorry, because <laughs> I was going down in history. Uh, <laughs> sorry. But if you're teaching history, and you can get your students to fall in love with history, what will happen when you give them the test? They'll pass it. Why? Because they love the subject. If you're teaching math, and you can get your students to fall in love with mathematics, whatever the subject may be, What will happen when you give them the test? They'll pass it. Why? Because they love the subject. Now, if you're teaching English, I don't know what you're going to do, okay? I can't imagine anybody. Do we have any English teachers here? Good. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do. You're on your own, okay? Because I can't imagine anybody falling in love with English. But notice what he says here. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation... For when he is tried, when he's tested, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The thing that will carry you through those hard times, the thing that will comfort you and strengthen you when you're going through the heartaches and the problems, is your love for Jesus. Listen, if you're hurting, maybe someone you know, maybe you just found out you have cancer, stay in love with Jesus. Maybe you just lost your job and you don't know what the future holds. Stay in love with Jesus because that will be the thing that will help you pass that test. God bless you folks. It's good to be with you. We appreciate you so much, Pastor.